Hello, and welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we get the inside take from actors, artists, and creators on their work, their career, and the things they obsess about. I'm your host, Connie Guillermo. Austin Winsberg is a big fan of musical theater. In high school, he starred in a production of West Side Story playing Doc, the soda shop owner and the one person in the show who doesn't sing, before going on to write the book for the Broadway musical First Date. He also oversaw the live music adaptation of The Sound of Music for NBC. So when he sat down to plot a new TV series, it's really not that big a surprise that he wanted to do a musical project. The result is Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. I spoke with Winsberg about selecting the songs, writing about a woman working at a tech startup, about PSP, and about his obsessions. They include the song parodies of Randy Rainbow and the trick shots he's learning with his kids by watching the five guys on the YouTube channel, Dude Perfect. A quick note, because of COVID-19 and shelter in place, our conversation was recorded over the internet. I'm in Silicon Valley, and Winsberg spoke with me from his home in Los Angeles. So be prepared if the audio sounds a little bit quirky. All right, well, let me start by saying thank you, Austin, for joining us here today on this episode of I'm So Obsessed. Really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Of course, and I'd like to start out just by asking, so how are you doing in quarantine or shelter in place or whatever it is that you're calling your stay at home time? I'm calling it uh, surviving, hanging on by a thread. Um, <laughs> we're we're doing okay. I I, I have a, a just turned six year old and a nine year old boy, and so there's a lot of energy in our house, and uh, it's challenging at times. And we're trying to work our way through it. But zooming and and schooling and cooking and cleaning and teaching and entertaining while trying to work at the same time. And having my kids not kill each other has been a, a challenge for sure. Have you learned anything interesting about yourself as part of this uh, extended period at home? Well, I think I've always known that I, when I'm isolated, when I'm alone from people, that that is not my my best self. It's easier to go to a darker or sadder place during that time. So I've been trying a lot to not do that. Um I've been spending more time probably with my kids than normal because of the circumstances and trying to learn um, patience and trying to increase my empathy and trying not to um, get so triggered by fighting and by them not listening has been a process in, in uh, tolerance and patience. <laughs> I, I would bet that they would say you're the one who's not listening, but <laughs> that's just... How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I I'm glad that you're safe and healthy, and uh, and uh, yeah, I I guess spending time with your kids kids is a good thing because it makes everyone appreciate what that means. Um, so let's talk about um, Zoe's extraordinary playlist. That's that's part of the reason that I wanted to talk to you about this amazing show, which is a. Uh, it's described as a musical comedy drama, and having just binge watched. Uh, the entire season in the last week and the very last episode of the season, which thank you, you made me cry. Um, I wanted to get some perspective on a couple of different aspects of the show. And I'm going to start with number one, you know, most people don't sit down and plot out a, a 
a sitcom or a a drama for TV and say it's going to have musical numbers. So I know that is how the character, the main character, Zoe, uh, that's her superpower is it has to do with music. So why don't you just explain the concept and how you ended up with that idea of music being a way into people's thinking? Yeah. So the concept of the show is it is about a female computer coder programmer in San Francisco who suddenly gets the ability to hear people's innermost thoughts and feelings as big musical numbers. And when she hears their, what we call heart songs on the show, suddenly she's able to understand them better, to gain compassion. Uh, and she kind of has to use what she learns about them from the songs to help them in some ways. And by helping them, she ends up helping herself as well. And the the way that that all started for me was I've been very interested in doing music projects for some time. Also, growing up, I was a theater major in college. I went to a theater camp called Stage Door Manor in the Catskills. Uh, theater and music have always been kind of a part of my creative process, who I am, even though I can't sing very well at all. In high school, I was uh, in West Side Story with my class, and I was Doc, the soda shop owner, the one person who didn't sing in the show. <laughs> So I've always wanted to sing. I've always had my inner heart songs that I've wanted to let out to the world, but my my voice and talent didn't allow that to happen. Um, so I've always been interested in musical projects, and I think I've just I've always uh, been drawn to that method of storytelling. And I think there's something deeply interesting in when people can no longer express what they're feeling through words; they have to express them in song. And that's always kind of been one of the tenets of musical theater it impacts me in a way that very few other forms of entertainment have. So I've just always been wanting to do something theatrical and musical. And that was part of the genesis of this. But the other real genesis was that my father passed away from a disease called progressive supranuclear palsy, PSP. And for the last six months that he was alive, he couldn't speak. He could barely move. Uh, he was pretty much just resigned to sitting in a chair all day and he had, with almost a blank look on his face. And it was very hard to know how much he was processing during that time, if he was processing. And we so badly wanted to know what was going on in his head and to communicate with him. And I just knew that at some point I wanted to write about that time in our, in our lives, um, becoming a father while losing my father, the pain of it, the experience that my family went through. And... One day I was just thinking, what if the way that my dad saw or experienced the world during that time was through musical numbers? And somehow the idea of that, instead of seeming sad or depressing or tragic as what I felt our experience was, it actually made me smile and it gave me a little bit of joy. And from that basic idea, that became the genesis of Zoe's. So I could talk more about how it all developed from there, but it really came from this idea of seeing what was going on in my dad's head during that time. Well, I, I think the trying to find a connection to your father, I mean, that is one of the most uh, obviously beautiful threads throughout the entire series. And that, that is what makes uh, Zoe's gift a superpower that she could connect with someone who is now disconnected from being able to communicate with the rest of the world. I'm curious, was your was your father, did music have any way to reach your father? Or is that just your problem solving, uh, you know, in an ideal world, you wish that you could have had that superpower? 
my father definitely liked music. Uh, I remember listening to a lot of Paul Simon growing up and Willie Nelson and Hank Williams. There was kind of a slight country music bent to what he liked. Um, but music was something that was in our house. It wasn't, uh, my, my father was an interior designer and an architect in Los Angeles. Um, but definitely we would listen to music in the car and the radio and he, he enjoyed music. I think it just, for me, was probably more about tying together the, the things that I was interested in and wanting to do a musical project. And I, I hadn't seen a musical project on TV that felt tonally like what I was picturing in my head. There, there's, a, there's a couple musicals that I was really inspired by. Um, these are smaller musicals that were on Broadway. One was called Next to Normal. Um, and there was another musical called Falsettos. And these mm -hmm. are smaller musicals that deal with sort of um, family conflict and deal with real familial issues, but in a musical way. And I just hadn't seen kind of a grounded emotional musical comedy in the way that I was picturing in my head. So people are very particular about their music and, you know, we share, used to share cassette tapes, right? And then people did uh, CDs and now we're sharing playlists, as you note, that's the title of it. But um, people are very particular about their playlist. And so you go out on a limb when you put together a playlist of anything. So how big a deal is it to sit down and map out the songs that you're going to use in each episode? I would imagine it's, uh, you know, it's a lot and everything because it sets the tone. It says a lot about who's putting the show together and the thinking of the characters. Absolutely. I mean, my first rule of the show with when it comes to music is it has to be a song that I know or I've heard in some way or has permeated culture in some way. And I think that my musical knowledge is not crazy vast. I, you know, I, it's not about the deep cuts or the artists that the indie artists that have a smaller niche audience. It's much more about music that has been kind of popular hits or top 40 or have been in the culture in some way. So that's my first barometer with the songs is do I do I know them or have I heard them? But the benefit of the show is, and because of the conceit of the show where she, Zoe starts off, she goes to get an MRI because she's worried she has the same thing her dad has. And an earthquake happens in San Francisco while she's in the MRI machine. And this was my fear when I was having MRIs a few years ago. And I was actually in an MRI machine and the, the technician said to me, do you want to listen to some music while we're in here? I've got Apple Music, Google, uh, Spotify, the works, whatever you want. <laughs> and so, and, I, and that's right there in the pilot. And I thought, oh, what if that's interesting if all the music in the world got kind of uploaded into her brain during this time. And so what that does is it frees us up to use any genre, any time period, anything. And so... The, the kind of the possibilities for music in the show are unlimited. And then in terms of how do we come up with the songs, there's a few rules that I have. The first rule, and these are kind of musical theater rules, but the first rule is that it has to either advance plot, reveal character, or be funny or unlikely in some way. And so those are our criteria. And, some, and it's a real um, it's a selection process. And some of it's just gut. And then it goes to the next step because then it's about, can I get the rights to those songs? And then it's working with our amazing choreographer, Mandy Moore. What is the conceit behind the song? Do we feel like that's something that we can dance to? Can we create a story around the musical moment? And so, and then we work with our, uh, I work with our executive music producer, Harvey Mason Jr. on what is, how do we want it to sound? Because we're doing our own re-records of all the songs. So how much do we keep 
integrity of the melody? How much should we keep the instrumentation? If it's an older song, are there certain things that we want to do to make it sound a little bit more modern? Do we want to slow down the pace or the tempo? Uh, so we're kind of constantly tweaking the songs, but still trying to maintain the integrity of what those songs said or what the emotion was that came from the song. I have to say, um, I burst out laughing uh, when I watched the first, uh, the pilot, and I think I Love You by the Partridge Family came out. I think I'm maybe one of the only people in the world that have that on vinyl. And I was laughing because I thought it was great, but just the the mix. Um, I, and I think, uh, if I remember correctly, Salt and Peppa, What a Man, was in that episode sure. as well. Yeah, just the contrast great. of your musical choices were great. So, I mean, in the pilot, there's songs that span from like, I think the 50s or 60s, all the way through to, to present day. So just in the pilot alone, you're seeing kind of the breadth of the kinds of songs we could be doing. Yeah. DJ Khaled. I remember all I do is win as well at one point with the coworker, Correct. what that was going through his brain. So um, do you get a lot of people coming up to you and saying, Hey, you should include blah, blah, blah in one of your episodes, a song, one of their favorite songs. Yes, that definitely happens. Also, I've recently become a uh, Twitter convert. I'm on Twitter now for the first time, and I get a lot of that on Twitter. Just just the other night, I posted uh, what, my, what were some quarantine songs that would be playing if we were doing a quarantine episode. And then I think I got like hundreds of uh, suggestions of other quarantine type songs that should be going on in the show. So maybe I need to use Twitter more for that going forward. Oh, uh, yeah, for crowdsourcing your ideas. Absolutely. Um, exactly. Because I have to give you mine, which is um, there's a Doris Day song that was um, a cover done by Cake called Perhaps, Perhaps, Perhaps. And it just seems to fit your title character. And it's one of my favorites. So I'm writing it down have as a we second. Speak. Yeah, the Doris Day version is quite famous and has been in Strictly Ballroom and a lot of a lot of tunes. And then Cake did did a version of it. And he plays. Uh, he's got a very different voice and they use a lot of brass instruments in their version, but it's also fabulous. So I'll let you pick which version of perhaps, perhaps, perhaps you like. There's something kind of cool too in the show. And maybe this started with things like American Idol and The Voice, but um, doing having male singers doing female recorded songs or vice versa and putting our own, doing a song that you would normally think of as upbeat, like I want to dance with somebody and really slowing it down. There, I, I find that those are some of the songs I'm most excited by in the show when we kind of reinvent them in some way and get people to look at them a little differently than the way they were originally intended. Yeah, I mean, I think it's amazing. And the other thing is just about um, this mix of songs. I mean, you say it's all over the place and you're a musical theater fan. Like, what's your top three? What are your three songs that's at the top of your playlist? From the show or just in general? Just in general. They don't have to have been in the show. Just curious. I mean, that's a tricky question. I I, I definitely, this. I don't know why, but I love uh, Africa by Toto. That's always a, <laughs> a good go-to for me. Um, I like uh, The Man Who Sold the World. I like that David Bowie song. Uh, in mm -hmm. Your Eyes, Gabriel is a big one for me. Um, more modern ones. I like the new weekend song, uh, Blinding Lights. I don't know. These are these are random. These are the top of my head.
you have your um, the star Zoe is a programmer in San Francisco and as the editor of tech site based in San Francisco I mean you definitely nail a lot of the components the serial um, choices are very funny and the whole open space with bright colors and wood you know uh, interesting wood art over conference tables but why uh, why was it important that she be a programmer who, you know, is a one and zero kind of thinker? Maybe that was your reason for doing it. But um, yeah, why was why is the star a programmer? That's exactly right. I mean, I, I guess I could think of it a little bit like uh, Peter Parker and Spider-Man. You know, the, the idea was to give the power to somebody unlikely and somebody who could really benefit from this power in some way. And so the idea of being able to hear people's innermost thoughts and feelings um, and then having to go and help them. There's been a lot of TV shows over the years with like that touched by an angel type shows where, or medium or where shows where people have to go and help other people. And I didn't, I wanted that to be somebody who isn't good at interacting with other people and has a hard time with certain kinds of social dynamics. And so I was trying to think of who, what kind of character that would be. And I just thought that a computer programmer is somebody who spends so much of their time hiding behind their computer and behind a screen. And they are somebody who who can see the world in very black and white terms, zeros and ones, like you said. But suddenly when they get exposed to this musical ability, suddenly they're starting to realize that you can't judge a book by its cover, that the world isn't so black and white. And on top of it, now I got to go help that person. I have no idea how to even interact with that person. And now I've got to go help them in some way. So I just wanted to uh, put challenges and obstacles in front of Zoe. And also I really wanted to uh, contrast her with Mo, her neighbor, who's somebody who is very artistic, very expressive, and very open to the world. And I think that Mo is somebody who lives in all these shades of gray. And Zoe is somebody who lives very much in black and white. And over the course of the season, and hopefully over the course of the series, uh, Zoe is somebody who learns to become much more uh, emotionally emotionally connected, much have a lot more empathy, and all that comes from this new power that she has. And so it was really kind of starting from that starting place of who's somebody who could benefit from this and who um, lives in a world that is very disconnected from that. And then the second piece of that was just once I started doing research on uh, tech and women in tech, I saw how few women there are that really um, are in that workspace. And we could talk about all the reasons why I did a lot of research on it. I, I just thought that was interesting, like putting her in a workspace where she's a, the one woman against all of these men. And again, it's just about creating conflict and things for her to overcome. Um, I thought the contrast of uh, the neighbors, um, Zoe and Mo, was Kansas and Oz, because you also had monochromatic, right. uh, an apartment for Zoe, and then you went full on color when you moved over to Mo's. So I, I, I definitely saw that. Yeah, that juxtaposition was quite, was quite there. But I am fascinated to know, what was your impression of, you know, a tech startup before, and then you did all of these research? What did you find out? You know, I had I had written a pilot some years ago that took place at Google or like a Google-like place that uh, I did a bunch of research then, and I was very interested in the culture at the time of those those kinds of tech companies. So I did I I I went and spent some time at one of the Google offices and saw how everybody's desk and personality came out, and also saw the different kind of hierarchy and the social norms between the different departments. Really did feel a little bit to me at the time like high school, where it's like the jocks were the certain kind of uh, 
person and the nerds were this kind of person. I was just, I was interested in that. So I had some awareness of that, but what I, what I was not aware of was just um, how challenging it was for women in tech and how, um, how few women, you know, I think those, those numbers are starting to get a little bit better, but what it's like to be a woman in that space, so that was all pretty eye-opening to me. And then certainly in terms of the design of the space, um, I just feel like so many of those environments, and we had an amazing production designer, Rusty Smith, who did a lot of research into different tech environments. And uh, so many of those spaces are these open spaces. No one has their own offices. And it's all by design to keep people connected and talking and working with each other. And I just thought that was a fun, interesting environment that we could go to a meditation room in one episode. That there's this, <laughs> right. I was always most drawn to the different food buffets. I mean, I was blown away at Google and all the different food options. So I feel right. like, and, and then the game areas too, like they create these fun environments in a way to keep people to stay there longer and to create a pleasant work environment where they want to stay. So I just always was fascinated by those types of environments. So you've, you've put this world in, uh, you've set your character in a world where people are not known for their emotional expressiveness. She has to solve problems um, based on musical cues. And I also love it that she doesn't know all the songs. Like she didn't know Van Morrison in one of the episodes and had to go Google who he was. And I imagine that's intentional as well. Again, it's part of her sort of um, not being connected to pop culture, not being connected to culture and music and the art. She'd rather listen to a podcast than listen to music. And it's part of, you know, I part of my philosophy is culture and art are so important and necessary and uh, such you know, especially in times like now, the sort of any kind of creative artistic expression coming out. So I like the idea. And especially because she's also a little bit younger, too. Certainly artists from another generation or something, she'd have no awareness of that. And I just thought that that was interesting that Mo, who's the DJ, know, is an encyclopedia of music. And Zoe knows almost nothing. And there have definitely been times in my life where I'll be with friends where they're trying to introduce me to some band that I've never heard of. And I just think that it's that's comedic and interesting to have a character who is kind of um, always kind of one step behind when it comes to that stuff and having to analyze the music or the lyrics to understand what's going on because of her very structured mind, pragmatic mind. Um, I don't know. It seemed comedic and interesting to me. It, it's definitely funny. I love it. Um you filmed this series, I imagine, before the pandemic to cold. Is that right? Was it all done before we ended up where we are today? Yeah, we got lucky in that we finished filming season one early February, just before, probably about a month before things really started to shut down. And then I just had some post stuff I had to do um, remotely. I had to just some of the, the editing and some of the sound stuff. Well, and I ask you that because I saw an interview you gave recently just about the last episode, which is, on the one hand, it's sad. It definitely makes you cry. But on the other hand, it's not meant to be uh, sad. It's meant to be, uh, you know, um, showing that life moves on and it's and people coming to terms with death. But it's an interesting time to bring that episode uh, to life, uh, given everything that's happening around us. And so... What has been the reaction and the perception that you've heard of from people? I mean, like I told you, I cried. I'm not ashamed to admit that. Anybody who doesn't cry doesn't have a heart as far as I'm concerned. But, um, you know, just the timing for it is super interesting. So, 
certainly in the in the the writing of the last episode at the last table read while we were shooting certain scenes when i watched the first cut of it i i cried multiple times so you're not alone uh, i think that was what surprised me about the finale is several times throughout the season people would reach out to me especially people who had lost family members to psp um, progressive supranuclear palsy or had family members who are dealing with it, which was the first surprise to me because the disease itself is pretty rare. So I wasn't expecting that kind of outpouring. But then something happened when the final episode came out where the outpouring was just much, much greater. And there were a lot of people reaching out about how emotional they were and some people thanking me, which was interesting, <laughs> unexpected. Um, but I think people are all looking you know, we're in a vulnerable time right now. And a lot of people are trying to figure out how to process grief and understand loss. And it's just easy for people to feel very alone and disconnected right now and scared. And so I think both the the crying, which is maybe cathartic or therapeutic in some way, and then the connectivity and hopefully a little bit of the uplift of the last act of that episode it just gives people some degree of hope and maybe feeling that they're not so alone and that we all go through this. And again, there was no uh, intention behind any of it. It was me just trying to be authentic to my own experience. And I think that just something about the specificity of that ended up feeling kind of universal. And a lot of people felt the desire to reach out after the fact I was not expecting it and was kind of overwhelmed and humbled by it. And even last night, I was I was writing um, messages back to people who had written me, strangers, uh, just because I feel like they are looking for connection right now. And also, we're all dealing with our own form of collective loss, and people are going through this in different ways. And so, I don't know, maybe Zoe's resonated with them in ways that I certainly didn't expect, but now I'm trying to be a good ambassador of whatever feelings they took from it. Well, I'm glad that you're putting out requests for, you know, uh, shelter in place uh, uh, playlists on Twitter and giving people an outlet to um, share some ideas with you um, that everyone wants to know they're not alone, right? And everyone wants to know that there's a possibility of something more. And that's, I think, what your episode showed. Um, Cer- certainly the just end. Yeah, yeah sorry. I'm sorry. Certainly the stuff at the end with the father and the last moments with Zoe and dancing together again. I mean, for me, that was obviously wish fulfillment. And I I had to, um, I was with my dad at the end and it was hard and painful. And in some ways that ending was me trying to uh, rewrite a little bit of what that ending was like for me. Which is again, why the tears? Because that came across very well. Okay, on a happier note, yes. uh, I started out by saying that the name of this uh, podcast is I'm So Obsessed. And uh, we'd like to know what you're obsessed with. What are you into? Um, it doesn't sound like you're a big tech person because we're helping you with your notifications, but what are you into? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I'm kind of a pop culture guy. So there's, a, there, you know, I, I like watching a, a lot of shows and movies, and I have two young kids. So I'm taking in a lot of pop culture stuff with them. So uh, I have some, I wrote down a few things that I'm kind of interested in right now, if you want to hear some of them. I, absolutely. Go ahead. 
well, there's a guy named Randy Rainbow. Randy Rainbow does these amazing song parodies, uh, usually using musical theater songs, but not entirely musical theater songs. And they have in the last few years become rather political, but they're mostly just making fun of things that are going on in politics or things that the president says. And I just find that his he he does them all in his apartment by himself. And they are just incredibly smart and funny and insightful. No matter what your political leanings, I just think they're they're good uh, parody and satire and they're just very smart. So I, anytime a new Randy Rainbow music video comes out, I feel like it's, <laughs> it's, it's like an exciting day. And then uh, I'm watching this HBO show based on the book. I know this much is true. And Mark Ruffalo is giving, he plays mm-hmm. twin brothers in it, one who has serious mental illness. And uh, I'm just blown away by his performances in that show and the levels of depth and emotionality talking about like being authentic and real, like every week I'm just emotionally gutted by that show. So it's, it's a hard watch, but I feel like there's um, incredible things going on in that. Uh, I've been watching a lot of shorts on Disney plus with my children. Uh, There's this one lava short that I think came on maybe before Moana um, Mm -hmm. where there's a that goes, I love you, you love me, which now you see why I don't sing. Um, but <laughs> I, I, and I say that to each other now. So that's been a nice bonding thing for us. Well, it sounds like your, um, your eclectic taste in music has extended into your eclectic obsessions. And for that, I am grateful. Thank you for sharing that with us. One of the big themes and ideas in Zoe's is it's really about empathy and kindness and I said this before, but not judging a book by its cover to realize that everybody has different emotions going on underneath the surface. And I think that right now we're in a precarious time where everybody is is struggling in their own way. So I would just ask for empathy and understanding. I see a lot of stuff on the news right now that feels very divisive and uh, a lot of anger. And I think that what's important is for people to take care of each other. And even if you can't hear everybody's inner heart song, I think you can still um, lead with kindness and you don't know what's going on behind closed doors. You don't know the person underneath the mask, what they're feeling. So I think it's important to just try to be good to one another and to reach out to your neighbors and your friends and make sure that everybody's okay and to lead with empathy, which I think is something that I got more of after my father passed away. And it's definitely the guiding principle of the show. Thanks again, Austin Winsberg, for talking with me. And thank you for listening. We hope you'll take a moment to subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, take care.